Well, good afternoon, everyone. Um, yes, yeah, sadly, we are not in person again this week. The weather is really playing with us. Uh, we try to make the best decision we can with the information we have on a Saturday. Um, and it has rained a little bit, so we feel mildly vindicated with our choice, but not wholly, unfortunately. Um, but let's pray we shall be together next week. Uh, I just want to thank you for your generosity for the previous gift days as well. As I mentioned in the email, I think it was this week, uh, we raised just under £4,000 last time. I just really ask you to again go before God as we consider all that he has for us as we move forward so we can enable us even further for discipleship mission uh, and blessing those in our community. Now, uh, I also just want to extend my thanks again to Paul Mayo, who shared the word of God with us last week. Uh, we were really blessed by that. So, Paul, thank you for that. And if you remember, last week, Paul started, he quoted about a time when he was really discouraged. He was sharing a passage from 1 Corinthians about let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die and how the person had missed the second half of the preach. I think they fell asleep. And um, I'm sure he was riveting. But uh, as she said, she, so she missed the second half of the, of the preach and what the point of it was. And she when she spoke to Paul at the end, she said how actually that was so helpful. And she realized she was actually giving too much to her service to God in church and committing to God that actually tomorrow we die. So, you know, what, what was the point of that? But actually, that wasn't the point of the talk. The point of the Corinthian verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 32, goes on to say that there is more to life than this, and the dead are raised. So there is more to life. And today we're going to read into some of what that is about, that there is more to life and that life is not cyclical going round in circles, but it's linear going in one direction. And what we're going to read back in Luke this week is that Jesus is giving us a preview of what is to come, that there is indeed more to life than what, and more than what we see now, that the dead are raised and one day all that are in Christ will be made new. Now, I don't know if you like watching trailers, and I drive my wife slightly nuts because I just will watch lots of trailers. I want to get a bit of an insight of the film before we watch it, and if the trailer looks pants, then I won't watch it. Um, but and often trailers give away quite a lot these days. You can almost get the sense of what's happening in the whole film just by the trailer, especially on Netflix for some reason. Um, anyway. But today, Jesus is kind of giving us a preview, a trailer almost, into what is going to happen in the future. He talks about the destruction of the temple, future persecution, and his second coming. So we're going to go from Luke 21, from verse 5. Follows on from where Jesus was speaking a couple of weeks ago. You remember when we were in person and the weather was fine? Do you remember those days? And uh, he talked about the uh, poor widow putting in... Um, her two coins and Jesus is just following on from that so he's in the temple still so let's go from verse 5 and it says while some were speaking of the temple and how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings he said as for these things that you see days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down and they asked him teacher when will these things be and what will be the sign and when these things are about to take place. And he said, see that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. 
And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be afraid, for these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. And then he said to them, nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilence, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness and settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate on it beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom for which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish by your endurance you will gain your lives verse 20 and when you see jerusalem surrounded by armies then know that its destruct desolation has come near then let those who are in judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter it for these days are days of for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against these, this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Verse 25, and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and waves, people fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Wow, there's a lot there. So I uh, hope you're comfortable at home. We're going to be here for a few hours. Um, only joking. There is a lot here, and there is, there's lots of themes here, uh, lots of theological thoughts that we can discuss, but we won't be able to get right into depth in all of them, but we'll cover what we can in this short time together. So Jesus' public ministry is coming to an end here in chapter, one, in chapter 21, and he's alternating between the horizons the near horizon and the far horizon. And we're situated now where we are in history in between what Jesus was talking about. We can look back at the Romans destroying the temple and we can look forward to the day when Jesus returns. And much has been written about all of what Jesus speaks about here and what we've just read. And this apocalyptic language that Jesus uses really can create a lot of questions, a bit like when we read the book of Revelation. And it's interesting when we think about apocalyptic language. The word apocalypse, um, we think of the world ending, and there's loads of films, again, probably with long trailers, about apocalyptic endings to the world. And the popular imagination, an apocalypse is this dreaded unraveling of everything good, but it's not uh, the, what the word apocalypse means in the Bible. In the Bible, an apocalypse it, is what happens is when someone is exposed to the transcendent reality of God's perspective. 
An apocalypse is a confrontation with the divine so intense that it transforms a person's view of everything. And verse 5 to 9, they were marveling at the temple with these noble stones and offerings. They were in awe of this. I think, we just go, I think we've got a picture. Uh, there we go. There we go. Well done. Um, this is what the temple looked like in that time. Um, they were in awe of this amazing architecture and construction. It wasn't Solomon's temple. It was built by Ezra in the 6th century BC after the exile. And Herod was finishing it. It took 80 years to build. They were still finishing the build when it was destroyed. That's really encouraging, wasn't it? The whole temple area was around 36 acres. And if you look at it now, um, the Dome of the Rock is what sits on it now. And Jesus is showing us that those that were listening and us today, that no matter how impressive an establishment or rulers or authorities or kingdoms, that they do not last. It gives this prediction that even though this impressive building with these beautiful stones that were 11 metres long, 5 metres deep and 3 metres high, none of them would be left upon another and there won't be one that won't be thrown down. Jesus is talking about what's going to happen to the temple in Jerusalem. He prophesied that it's about to be raised to the ground, even though these stones were massive, that not one would be left upon another. Forty years after Jesus spoke these words, and less than ten years after Luke wrote them down, this became horribly true. It started with a Jewish high priest who was deposed, having illegally executed James, who was the main leader of the church in Jerusalem. And there was this backlash that swept through and zealots came into power and they provoked a full-scale Jewish revolt against the Roman rule. And they enjoyed some early successes, but they were eventually pushed back inside Jerusalem by the mighty Roman army and then the city fell in August of 70 AD. The historian Josephus was present when the city fell and he said, this is really striking. They killed those who who overtook without mercy, set fire to the houses into which the Jews fled, burning every soul in them. They ran through everyone they met and obstructed the very lanes with their dead bodies, making the whole city run with such blood that the fire of many of the houses was quenched. It's estimated that over a million Jews were killed in the sacking of Jerusalem. The fire burnt so ferociously, the gold embedded in the stonework of the temple melted in between the paving slabs. And the soldiers were trying to lift up the stones to get the melted gold, leaving no stone unturned. These verses are important to Christians, especially in Jerusalem at the time, because many of them escaped destruction as a result of their obedience to the prophecy in verse 21 that says, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter. It is a sobering reminder. It is a sobering reminder of the need for us to listen. The disciples are asking really about what is going to happen And his answer encompasses the final destruction of the world and in God's renewal, in God's completed kingdom. We start to reach the pinnacle of the book of Luke over these next 
couple of weeks and then going into September. And it's fascinating. Right now, Jesus is nearing his time and he's ascending all the time. He's ascending to the city of Jerusalem. He ascended up as he came in on Palm Sunday. He ascended through the different stages of the temple. He was in the Gentile court. And then he was in that slightly inner court where the lady was putting her coins in. And he was so close to the temple, which, uh, where the Holy of Holies was, which represented God's very presence on earth except he doesn't ascend to that holy of holies this jesus and the place he ascends to is the cross where he dies and that veil in the holy of holies is torn in two from top to bottom where we could no longer be separated from the presence of god and god's presence would no longer dwell in a box or in a temple but in his people because the Holy Spirit would come down and we are really entering into these final days of Jesus' life, what we're reading. And can I encourage you to take these words seriously, study them in your own time. If you want to study more, these words also are written in Mark 13, 1 to 27, and Matthew 24, 1 to 31. And Jesus can perceive the coming of crisis, of his arrest. He's trying to prepare his followers for the events that await them. And here he's intertwining historical and eschatological elements, the end times. It's a prophetic foreshortening at the near event of the destruction of Jerusalem and the far event of the coming of the Son of Man, Jesus' second coming. And he warns about false prophets, that many, note many will come in his name he's warning his disciples not to be deceived because many throughout the ages will attempt to claim this messianic identity with wars calamities or tumults nations kingdoms rising up against each other he warns to see that you are not alarmed when such things happen but the end is still to come the end is not near even though these calamities might indicate it the old testament linked wars and cosmic battles famines earthquakes other catastrophic events with the end of the age but jesus is emphasizing these activities will be a regular part of suffering in this life until the return of jesus and it begins with the redemption of all creation they're described elsewhere as birth pains the beginning of birth pains um, common metaphor from the old testament prophets who depicted these terrible human suffering as well seen in isaiah jeremiah and hosea but this imagery of birth pain points to an expected time of suffering that will characterize the period prior to the messianic age of jesus coming back the inauguration of the kingdom of heaven brings redemption to all its citizens that's all those who are in christ it's important we talk about this stuff because it's in his words and we need to have come to an understanding of what is going to happen we won't fully understand but it's important to talk about these things and as you might think when they talk about birth pains might contradict not knowing the time of jesus because as we know there's a time of discomfort during nine months of pregnancy i've witnessed this and it does look uncomfortable and the pain increases uh, sorry about this, Catherine and Sophie. Uh, the pain increases as the child is about to be born. But the metaphor is used to highlight a different 
facet of the prenatal process of the onset of childbirth is doesn't just come but it's a this repeated phenomenon coming in waves over and over again the baby doesn't come on the first pang of pain sorry about that um, but once the pains begin all know the process has commenced I just feel like we're going through some stuff here to, preparing you we've got two pregnant ladies in the room and we don't know if the baby will come on the fifth or the 15th or the 50th push of pain just telling you how it is i've witnessed three births and periods of wars and rumors of wars tragic earthquakes and famines washing over the landscape in history are repeated pains in each remind us that the end is coming do you understand the significance here it is coming and no one knows when the son of man will appear a bit like we don't know exactly when the baby comes it won't be like it always happens on the 15th sorry um so but some will try to mislead us on this saying these pains will be a sign or this or that is a sign but jesus warns his disciples not to be deceived there's so much about this and i think this is helpful for us uh to not keep looking for signs there are so many facets of christianity that look for signs especially in and around what's happening in the middle east you only have to turn on some of the God channels, which you feel free to watch. I personally never watch them. Jesus has previously warned his disciples about this imminent future persecution as well. He says, you will be hated because of me. Once you will be handed over, even by those closest to you, relatives, etc., and Jesus' disciples will feel the wrath and alienation from humanity for following him and proclaiming his message. But better to feel the wrath and alienation of mankind than of God. And the phrase, because of me, is literally because of my name. And it's an important expression that harks back to the Old Testament significance of God's name as a representation of his person and being the sole focus of Israel and its worship and its allegiance. Now, Jesus' disciples and we as his disciples have the privilege of carrying his name, but it also brings with it suffering because of the antagonism and hatred that is directed to him will naturally fall on his followers. And Jesus encourages us to endure after he talked about these wars and persecution in verse 19. He says, not a hair of your head will perish. He doesn't speak of rescue from physical death because many disciples will experience martyrdom. Notice not all, though. He says some. Instead, Jesus gives us this concrete promise and a cautionary reminder. His promise is the one who remains committed to his name till the end will not be consumed by the persecution, but it will experience the full blessing of peace in his kingdom and salvation. So the assurance is you will gain life and save your soul, essentially. There are none of us that like suffering, and we all pray for patience. We all want patience, don't we? We all want a bit of patience. Yes, great. But we don't want to suffer. But the ability to endure suffering comes from suffering romans 5 
verse 1 to 5 says, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that our suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So without suffering, we would never be able to endure. And we must read and rejoice that. We must realize that God is forming us and shaping us in the crucible. James says in chapter 1, verse 4, let perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And we so want, often want suffering and difficulty to leave us alone. I do. I'm not immune to that. But it's actually producing something in us, a maturity that we may not lack anything. And so often those that have been around for a while, who have been through suffering or trials, they're the ones you want to seek advice from. They're the ones that you want to seek counsel from. You know, we've got some real heroes amongst us as well. Ian Lane is a particular hero of mine. He has not had a straightforward life. He's been partially sighted. He has not had an easy run, but this man is one of the most Christ-like people who's most full of joy. Rachel Northcroft is a hero of mine. She has endured pain for a very long time with migraines. And she's had difficulties, but she is persevering. She's someone that you just know there's a depth there. She's a real hero. If you want advice, these are the people you want to speak to, people that have gone through stuff. And Jesus, moving on, verse 20, Jesus gives this clear warning to those on what to do when the city faces persecution. The Jewish nation have, nation have rejected its Messiah and are facing this moment at a time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Paul prophesies this in Romans 11, explaining Israel experiencing a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in and that salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious in this way. All Israel will be saved. So Israel experiencing a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in and that salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious in this way. All Israel will be saved. So that's why there's a, such a big weight for Jesus to come back. He has worked out a way to make the Jewish nation regret having rejected him and provoking a wave, a mass wave of Jewish conversions coming to him before his glorious return. And from verse 25, Jesus describes his second coming about us not being alarmed when the planet we're living on faces great danger or terrorist or terrorist rule. We are to stand strong even as unbelievers drop their heads around us in despair. This is a necessary prelude to the moment when the big wait is finally over, at that time when we will see the Son of Man coming in on clouds with great power and great glory. Verses like these and others from Revelation and Thessalonians bring people to the conclusion of the rapture. I guess you may have heard of that phrase before. 
the rapture. I've often joked about it when people are not at a meeting. We think, oh, maybe they've been raptured. Um, but the rapture is that the theory is there's this seven year tribulation. And when that begins, God's people will be snatched up into heaven away from this seven year tribulation. They will be snapped up into heaven on the clouds. That's kind of where they get a lot of this from. And, but we don't have to go through all of this. We'll miss it. That's what they're thinking. But I've come to rest in, we don't have time really to go through all the theological sides to this, but where I've come to rest on this is that I don't believe that we'll get sucked up away from the seven years of tribulation. And having gone through it, we will meet the Lord as he's coming down. And when it talks about meeting him on the cloud, it's often referenced about God's glory rather than us getting sucked up to a physical place. And it's more of a going out to meet him as he's coming in. That's what it means, I believe. And we're using that terms of getting caught up in God's glory rather than a physical place, meeting him to go back in. And when Jesus returns, there will be no mistake about what is happening. Revelation 19, 11 to 16 says, I saw heaven standing open. This is John's vision of what is going to happen at the end. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him riding on white horses dressed in fine linen and white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword which depicts his judgment. That's why it's in his mouth and not in his hand with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter and he treads on the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the apocalyptic moment when heaven is finally revealed and we all get to see the truth. It's the moment that all of earth see the realities of heaven, that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is where we're all going towards. This is the moment that all of humanity is heading towards. In scripture, all that is wrong with the world is often symbolized in a city, Babylon. It becomes synonymous with the Tower of Babel, where the early, early in humanity, they were trying to make a name for themselves, build this high tower. Then Babylon was this colonial empire that destroyed Jerusalem, took God's people into exile. So Babylon, therefore, is associated with these forces of evil that ruin God's good world through violence, corruption, and greed. And today's Babylon often can look like pride or obsession with technology, oppression, material affluence, commercialization, sexual promiscuity, huge inequalities. But in John's vision in Revelation, Babylon is brought crashing down through this act of divine judgment. This icon of human arrogance is reduced to rubble, leaving these merchants and tra traders distraught. That's what happened in an hour with Babylon. And the Bible tells us that this present world is passing away. And like the merchants of Babylon, if we invest our energies in making money, in acquiring possessions, we will end up devastated. Instead, let's live 
for the things that last and seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus will appear one day and he's not returning like a distant landlord to collect the rent. He's ascended into the heavenly realms right now, not into outer space. Jesus is currently out of sight, but that doesn't mean he's far away. And right now we can interact with him in this spiritual sense, but he is one day coming and the curtain will lift and Jesus will be revealed in plain sight. And that is what is happening when John sees this moment in Revelation 19. And when this moment happens, it is a reflection of creation. God bringing order out of chaos, bringing light into darkness. And when he returns, he will bring this order, this light. And we see this began, this total renewal began at the resurrection. And this moment won't be the end. This is not the end of the world that we're talking about this, this afternoon. It's actually the beginning. The beginning of a renewed world where heaven and earth meet and the world will be renewed. And we see this beautiful picture. I think I've got the words for this. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first First earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is why we have a hope. And when we see this, it's like, it's like getting glasses almost for the first time, or more like seeing colour. You know, I look back at how I used to live and think, how did I live like that? But at the time, I thought it was fine. And we will look back in eternity and think, I can't believe we used to live like that. And we must have this in mind and it helps us refocus to what really matters. It helps us realize we have to live out our purpose. Your ultimate purpose is not yourself. Your purpose is to rule over creation and not be ruled by fears and anxieties, lusts and dark desires. You're, you are an image bearer of God to rule over these things and not be slaves to them. And we are the answer between now and when he comes back. We are signposts to what is going to happen. Our purpose is to carry the realities of heaven and earth in ourselves. Heaven and earth meet in human beings now. We are made of earth, but we carry the stamp of God. Be saved from that fruitless task of building your life around yourself what you will look like, how well you do, how many letters you have after your name. The ultimate purpose is not you. And fixation on self is a beast and it will always want more and more and more and it will never satisfy. And we need to point people to the meaning of life, to the hope that we have. The meaning of life is not a what, it's a who. That we find ultimate pleasure and satisfaction in Jesus. Psalm 16, 11 says, you make known to me the path of 
life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's where we and the world can find rest now in the person of Jesus. You can know him and be in relationship with him because of what he did on the cross. Because you were separated from God by your sin. You were born. The Bible says born under Adam. We are all in Adam. We are following the family line. And we are by nature children of wrath, separated from God. But God has paid the price for your sin on the cross. Just like the judge who pays the price, the fine for that person in the dock comes around and pays that price for them. Jesus has paid the price for you. And you can have life and everlasting life in the new Jerusalem that is coming. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 57. Let me end with this. It says this. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable, that's our bodies, must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you have hope in this life and for the next. In the person of Jesus and only in him will you find your true purpose. Only in him will you find life and life everlasting. Only then will you have peace on not worrying about what is next because you can trust and rest in him. You can come to him today. Only by knowing God does it make sense of everything that's going on in the world. Without him, we, we just wonder what is all this about? What is... Is there any meaning? But only can you find that meaning in the person of Jesus who knows you, who has died for you. Why don't we pray? And there's a moment really in your life that you can just say, "Come, I want to come into your presence, Lord. I want you to come into my life. He's been pursuing you. You might be struggling right now. You might be facing persecution. God will give you the words to say. But it says in verse 15, He will give you the words to say and none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You may never have spoken to God before, but you can do that right now. You may have spoken to God many, many times, but are feeling far from him right now. Believe he wants to speak to you today. Just to say the world is heading in one direction. I have a plan and a purpose for you. You are my image bearer. You are my son, my daughter. Will you come into my family? We're adopted 
into his family when we give our lives to Christ. And it's a really easy, simple thing to do. And what we have to do is just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for going my own way. Will you help me follow you? And come into my life. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. That's all we have to say. That's all we have to do. And then we spend the rest of our lives pursuing God and being in relationship with him. If you're feeling distant right now, feeling unsure about your future, God says, I'm with you. Father, we want to thank you for your word. Thank you that, Lord, you sustain us, that we will not perish, but we will gain life. That our redemption, Lord, is drawing near. Father God, will you come and help us understand all that you've spoken to us in this word today? Lord, I pray for those that are feeling far from you right now. Will you come and draw near? Will you just whisper in their ear right now the still, small voice of God? Thank you, Jesus. Lord, help us be the signposts, Lord, to you. Help us fulfill our purpose, Lord, for what you've created us to be. Help us not focus on what we want to do for ourselves, but Lord, help us be the signpost for heaven and the new creation that is coming. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for all of my friends here gathered together here and online. Lord, I pray for a sense of boldness and courage as we go into this next few months ahead, this new, next season, Lord. Give us boldness. Help us be signposts in times of hopelessness, Lord. Let us be the real hope, Lord. Let people not put their hope on easing of restrictions, Lord, but help us be the signposts to you. They can put their hope in you, Lord Jesus, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to draw our service to a close there. Thank you for gathering with us online today. Um, hope you enjoy the week ahead. There's a big day coming up Wednesday, which I haven't really spoken about yet. Uh, semi-final. Um, hope you'll enjoy that. Uh, I certainly will as well. Um, so thanks, all of you. And if you want to stick around for Zoom, we're going to go into breakout rooms uh, for about five or ten minutes uh, to give an opportunity to chat uh, and then that will be it.